Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. You're kind of like a digital nomad, except you actually have a valuable task to do while you're in a place. Do nurses drink more than people in other professions? It's very common that at least once a month, all those nurses will get together and just party. They've got a lot of steam to let off. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of No Blackout Dates. My name's Tim. And I'm Evan. And today we dive into the impeccable and interesting world of travel nursing. It's a field that I've always kind of been curious about because... Not only do you have like a super important, high stress, very honorable job, but you're also traveling the country and seeing people and being all over the place in a way that most people don't get to do in their job. And you're doing it for an extended period of time rather than just a couple of days on a work trip. So we're going to get into all things travel nursing with Molly Duane in a few minutes. But first up, Evan's back and we're going to get into our hot take segment. Yeah, I. this is all very new to me again. Talking into a mic, seeing myself on a Zoom screen. God damn it, I'm tan, Tim. Jeez. Looking good after a couple of weeks in the desert, man. Oh, man. Whew. That's going to fade. But it is good to be back. I'm glad I was able to listen to the pod for the first time ever as just a fan and a, as a listener the last, this past month. And that was a treat. So it's good to be back here, though. It's good to have you back, man, because I have been feel like I've been rambling into a wall for the last few weeks. So it's good to have you here. I'll get started here with a couple of questions. My first one for you today you're walking through the airport. You have your bag on your back. You're approaching an escalator on right side, stairs on the left side. Which this is one so immersive. I feel like I'm there. Keep going. Escalator. Oh, that was it. Escalator on the right side, stairs on the left side. Which one do I choose? Do I do the stairs or the escalator with a bag on my back? <laughs> Which one do you think I do, Tim? <laughs> I think you do the escalator. And it's interesting to me that that's the one you're going to choose because you're a fitness-oriented guy. I'm not an elevation guy, though. I don't do ele- I don't do cardio. I don't do elevation. Okay, I'm not trying to hike in an airport. Because I guess I'm the loser that will always take the stairs. I choose the stairs, and then I'm like, okay, I'm really like, I'm, my workout today is walking through these airports. I'm not going to the gym, so I'm gonna go up all the stairs I can, and that's my that's my justification for that. I can see that. Do, do you want to know actually what the real answer is? I I will sometimes take the stairs uh, on two occasions. The first being if the elevator is if I'm in kind of a rush and the elevator is packed with people all just standing still, then I'll, I'll take the stairs. Um, occasion number two, if I just ate a really like big and unhealthy airport meal, and I will take the stairs feeling as though, okay, if I take the stairs, that just completely negates that meal. Like zero calories, done. I just burned it all off, took the stairs, good for me, pat on the back. So I will do it if I ate a particularly unhealthy meal just prior. Which, it doesn't happen that often, but that is the two occasions I'll take the stairs, trying to beat the slow pokes and trying to burn off a 3,000-calorie meal by taking 12 steps. Okay. Well, you know what you can do that I do sometimes, too? And I don't know if I've ever admitted this before, but I will take the stairs at hotels. Like, even if I'm on, like, the eighth floor, I'll sometimes take the stairs up just because I feel like it. 
you know, because I want to. Oh, you'll like you'll in. go into like the back stairwell yeah, that only into, like, the, the, fire like, the cleaning staff uses. And yeah, you'll, I'll go in yeah. there, and then when you see somebody in there, it's usually a staff member, and they look at you weird, like, "Why is this guy taking yeah. the fucking stairs?" They're like, "He must have an emergency, or there must be a fire." And you're like, "Nope, <laughs> I just I'm just from Colorado." Yeah, I'm just from Colorado. I'm just a, I'm just I'm just have really bad anxiety about elevators, which isn't oh, really, really that true. No, it's not that true. I used I, to. I used I to, used to always to fear. I, I kind of used to do that though. I used to have fear that like they were always every time I was in one, I was like, oh, how old? This one looks old. It looks old. It's just, this is this is gonna stop at floor three, and I'm not gonna be able to get out. I'm gonna have to push the panic button, and they're gonna have to rescue me. I always think that when I was yeah, maybe like a, like in my young teens, probably, but that just kind of that fear kind of dissolved, I guess. It's not unreasonable though. You know, you're just kind of flying. It's not unreasonable. You're like trapped in a you're trapped in a box and you can't get out. Like it's mm-hmm. it's honestly I'm surprised elevators are so commonplace when you look at it from that angle. Okay, my next question for you Evan and this is very relevant to you right now uh, after being gone for a few weeks. Is the out of office reminder on email obsolete because everybody's online every day anyway? It's obsolete for people who work remotely. Anyone who wants to get in touch with me from Matador I had an away message on Slack, so people knew that I wasn't, you know, coworkers knew that I wasn't able to respond immediately. And email, I was still able to check. So if I was off the grid completely, no Wi-Fi for weeks, yeah, I'd probably use an away message. And I think that's that people probably do and that it's useful. But I, I had no Wi-Fi all day, every day for two weeks in Saudi. I'd come back to the hotel at night, I'd have Wi-Fi. I'd check up all my emails it took me like five minutes so there's no there's no need for that like i can keep up to speed so uh, yeah i don't know i don't i do miss the old aim away message though i do like that and i feel like that was genius because you would just be able to like get creative with it and right. people would know right. i wish you could have that for your phone like i'm away from my phone I'm, I'm not going to respond to your text because i'm doing xyz cool thing look how cool i am i'm not going to respond now you can't do that well, that's just that's honestly my point exactly with the away out of office email is that I think at this point it's just more of a uh, a face brag of you being out doing something cool rather than being on your email right now. It doesn't actually serve any functional purpose other than letting people know that you're doing something cool. I do think though that people in a lot of other jobs get more urgent pressing emails than we do. Like people that are like project managers or in, you know, PR, they have things that they have to urgently respond to. Like we don't, we're not important enough. Like we don't have anything that requires an urgent response. My emails are just from press people that want coverage that they blast off to a thousand other writers. You know, like I don't, no one's like, like, oh, Evan didn't respond to me for two days. Like no one gives a shit if I respond to them. So it's it's a little different. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, I guess you could always text people if it's that urgent. Exactly. All right. My first hot takes of the month is a lot. I've been compiling quite a few of these uh, over the last few weeks, so I'm excited to get into it. My first one is, have you ever ordered off the kid's menu, and would you ever order off a kid's menu as an adult? I don't think so, but I would if I wanted a small meal. Like if I had already eaten, but everybody was going out to eat and I just wanted like a smaller meal, I would probably do that. And I will probably be doing that a lot in the near future as my daughter gets old enough to order off a restaurant menu. Second dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I I have to say that I was actually talking to my wife, Alicia, the other day, and I was saying I can't wait until she's old enough to start ordering off kids' menus because I know that I'll get to eat like two-thirds of whatever she orders. 
Well, the thing I think a lot of people don't realize is that adults can order off of the majority of kids' menus. And I didn't really l learn this until a few years ago. I always thought, like, oh, that's cool. It's like 7 bucks for a plate of chicken fingers. But, oh, I'm not a kid. I can't do it. False. You can do it unless there's a specific thing that says 12 and under, 10 and under, whatever. And recently, I started taking advantage of this. There's the local bar in my town. They, you know, we'll go somewhere else. I'll have, uh, you know, my main dinner at home or somewhere else, and I'll still be a little hungry, you know, because one dinner is almost never enough. So you go to the bar, and then they have this great kids menu. It, like, really, it comes with a. Why? How many it's, kids it's, are it's, at it's the like, bar? Is there a lot of kids at this bar? No, not really. Almost none. But they have a kids menu, and it's uh, the same portion size as an adult. It's like you get a you get a burger, full size burger. They have steak tips healthy helping of steak tips with uh, mashed potatoes shepherd's pie things that you would find on the adult menu they have on the kids menu for half the price and it's the same portion so i quickly un unlock this this uh, uh this hack and i started ordering my second dinner i go to the bar you know with a few friends and we'd order a kids menu after having gotten a real uh meal elsewhere because this restaurant we wouldn't even go there otherwise if it wasn't for their kids menu because we, you know, you're not going to pay full price twice and twice back to back for full adult meals. So they got our business because we were patronizing them specifically for the kids' menu. They made like thirty bucks off of us, and we got a, you know, a nice little half meal. It's perfect. But they don't know the server doesn't know that you already had dinner, so they probably hate you and no. think you're a cheapskate. Probably, but the the <laughs> this whole thing has consequences because at a certain point we started doing this so much that we made the mistake of doing it once when the manager was uh, behind the bar. And she was like, made a comment like, oh yeah, we really should put an age limit on that. And we explained very clearly like, oh, like we already ate dinner. Like we wouldn't come here for main dinner. We're here because it's second dinner. Like it's it's either second dinner or, or no dinner. Or we go somewhere else. It's not it's not like you're gonna get more money out of us if we if you make us order adult food. We wouldn't even order the adult food. And then we come in a week later, bam, they'd added a 12 and under only thing to the kids' menu. Oh, you so ruined we, it. So we ruined the kids' menu at this bar because we kept ordering, you know, kids' steak tips. Which, what kid is ordering steak tips anyway? Like, come on. So, yeah, that's my kids' menu story. And still a big, big kids' menu guy. Now I'm on the hunt for the new best kids' menu in town. So... If anyone's listening, any restaurant owners in the greater Newburyport area, and you have a great kids menu, you want me to ch check it out, trying to become a kids menu influencer, adults that check out and rate kids menus for, uh, you know, fiscally responsible adults, have a little second dinner, let me know. You should just become a babysitter. <laughs> and then you won't have to worry about pissing anybody off. Like if the kid's ordering off the kid's menu and you're ordering off the kid's menu, it's cute, right? Uh, yes. But if it's just you, then you're like this cheapskate uh, adult. You know? It's it's not, it's not funny because it's not a money thing. It's it's a gluttony thing. It's a, I, I've had my yeah. normal meal for a normal adult and now I just want another one. If you're going to give me a good kid's menu deal, I'll take it. But if not, I'm just not going to eat a second dinner. I don't need a second dinner. You know, you just lost out on my $7. So I don't know. All right. Well, that's been on my mind for a while. So I'm glad I got that off my chest. Second question for you. Would you rather binge a TV show all at once or consume it in weekly doses? I would rather binge it all at once. Um, not a big TV guy. But when I do find a series I do like, I tend to binge it. Like right now I'm watching... The long way up with you and McGregor. Um, 
and I'm binging it for sure. That's how I do it. That's how I, 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 it's a rare instance for me to find a TV show that I like. And when I do, I watch it all in like four days. Yeah, I, I know binging is the way to consume TV right now, but I really miss the episodic weekly format because there's just nothing like watching an episode of a show that everyone is into and everyone's kind of watching at the same time, just having a week to digest it and then anticipation building up to the next week and then everyone else you know is watching it and you just like just really indulge in it for that one hour and then it's over and then you got to wait another week and it really just enhances the experience like i very firmly believe game of thrones wouldn't have been the phenomenon that it was if it was released in a, a bingeable format it was because you had to watch it and then had a whole week to speculate on what was going to happen and fan theories would circulate whole season was just released all at once you get none of that it would kill the whole speculative culture i mean i i get that i get that but i think that you know i kind of view it more and more like albums right like there's definitely some nostalgia to having an album and listening to it from front to back but if i'm honest my hot take on this is that more often than not now i just listen to the songs i want to listen to but you don't know what you want to listen to Yes, but I know that I want I know that I want it and I'm not going to watch something that I don't want to watch, right? So I'm skipping all the crap that I don't want to watch and I'm watching what I want to watch now. I'm confused though. How do you know what you don't want to watch if it's a new show that has a full So I'm saying it's a new show that's released. There's a full season of episodes. Would you rather consume all of those episodes all at once, like you binge them over the course of 2 days or you have to wait a week in between each episode? to watch it i come into tv with the attitude that i hate all of it and i don't want to watch any of it so then when the rare show comes that i know i'm gonna like i just want it as fast as possible i want that oh, okay gratification. i thought you were saying you want to pick and choose which episodes to watch and which ones to skip and i was like well I, okay no no no, no 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 maybe maybe my album analogy wasn't very good but uh i that's how i feel okay binge guy I'm a binge guy. Evan's an episodic guy. And episodic. We will, we will get into the episode with Molly Duane. We'll the see episode. You on the other side. All right, we're here with Molly Duane, who is a professional traveling nurse currently based in Salt Lake City, but I imagine she's been all over the place. We're going to get the story behind that and behind what is undoubtedly one of the most fascinating careers in the medical industry today and a unique take on travel. So Molly, welcome to No Blackout Dates. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Right on. So we'll, we'll jump in first with getting the lowdown on what exactly being a traveling nurse is all about. I think anybody knows about nursing. Uh, they've interacted with nurses throughout their lives, but I don't know that nursing is always viewed as a profession that takes you all over the place. So give us a little bit of a background. Absolutely. So, um, and of course, bearing in mind that COVID has changed things quite a bit in our uh, in our healthcare landscape, and especially for nurses. But um, travel nurses have existed for um, quite a long time, a couple of decades here in the states. And what we do is we're sort of a contingency of flexible, more flexible nurses, um, generally thought of as highly skilled and kind of float around to help fill gaps in different healthcare organizations throughout the United States. Um, there can be a myriad of reasons that they're needed. Um, 
there'll be influxes of patients for certain um, demographics at certain times of the year. We see that pretty frequently. Sometimes there's just a lot of nurses that are out on leave at the same time. Um, there's often new healthcare facilities that are getting built and they're not able to staff, um, staff them up quick enough. So they, they've always relied on these pools of nurses to kind of help fill those gaps. And then with COVID, we've seen just an insane influx of, of patients and significant strain on the healthcare system. So they've been needed now more than ever. And I think that sort of brought travel nursing into the forefront of um, the healthcare industry. And it, it's brought become a little bit more commonplace to um, to meet travel nurses and, and to really view them as a, a major part of the healthcare system. And how long are you in a place for any given time? Like three months, four months? So the typical contracts are about three months. We generally want to extend. So if the, the facility needs continual help, they'll often, often offer extensions for another three months at a time. With COVID, we've seen some shorter contracts pop up four weeks, six weeks, but the general, um, the general contract is about three months. So you're, you're kind of like a digital nomad, except you actually have a valuable task to do while you're in a place, <laughs> is what it seems like to me. I, how, how does it go about being chosen where you're going to go? Oh, that's a great question. So it, you will set up yourself with a company. They know what your skill set is. There's um, a very broad spectrum of, of different healthcare specialties, and, and some of those skill sets are pretty unique. And so if you are somebody who, for example, does labor and delivery nursing, that's a very unique skill set. And those nurses will wait to be matched to whatever programs are in need. So they might want to travel throughout the Northeast, but perhaps at that time there are no contracts available. And so they're going to be looking at contracts in Texas or California. So you get to list your preferences, where you want to go, kind of like your bucket list of facilities that you want to go to or areas of the of the states that you want to check out. Uh, but then you your company will search for contracts that match your skill set. Um, it just so the more skilled you are, the broader your opportunities are. So, what's on your bucket list? What's on your criteria list of a, choosing a place that you want to go to? Is it is it hospital based, uh, having the kind of facilities you want to work in, or is it just location destination based? I, this is where I want to live for a little bit. For me, um, and I think for for most of the the travel nurses that I've met, it's very much location based. Um, it's definitely a great way to explore different areas of the country that you might want to live, or you you know you don't want to live there full time, but you say, hey, this this is something that uh, an energy that I want to check out for a few months at a time and and see just what it's like. Um, so for me, it was always um, very location driven. I I would get a contract offer from a hospital and check out where it was and say, okay, can I see myself living here for three to nine months? Um, and is it um, facility dependent a little bit? You, you, we have rural facilities that are um, pretty intense to work at and can be kind of scary. And then we have, you know, level one trauma centers that are intense in a very different way and require a very different skill set. So we, you get to, um, if you're somebody who cares very deeply about where they want to go, though, then you can be more flexible with what facility you want to check out. You said rural facilities are scarier? 
Yeah, they're actually, um, and that was something that I, I didn't know. Um, I thought it would be very chill. I, my first travel contract, I was living in Salt Lake and working at a level one. So the highest, um, acuity is called level one. So I was working at a level one, um, trauma facility, at, for pediatrics, and I, I took a contract doing rural healthcare. We call it critical access, the critical access facility in rural Montana. And I thought it would be a super chill assignment. I honestly, you know, was it was a little bit of a, a an ego bruise because I definitely thought I was going to walk in there and show these nurses how it was done in the big city, and pretty much just got my ass kicked up and down. They they work. A lot harder. They have far fewer resources. They're stretched super thin, um, and they they really showed me what it was what it was to be a strong nurse. And so, um, I, I was actually just talking to another friend who lives in Texas, and she just took a, a um, left rural healthcare for the first time, and she's at a level one facility in Texas. And she texted me yesterday and was like, Molly this is so easy. You have people to do, they're stocking your items for you. They're helping you with bed baths. They're your residents always at the bedside, checking in on your patient. You're not alone in the hospital with six patients. And so, um, it's a really, that was a really big kind of hospital culture shock for me. Uh, I'm also curious about the social life of being a traveling nurse. You, so you noted in the rural communities, they're very open to bringing you in. And I imagine, you know, have coffee, have beer, whatever it might be. H- how does that go when you're in a new place all the time? Uh, is it lonely? Is it isolating? Uh, is it freeing to be able to like have these short-term connections and then move on? Honestly, I, I feel like it's all of those things. I um, it, It's really fun to expand your social experiences. I, I know my home base is Salt Lake. We can be a pretty homogenous group. I, I haven't met a new person in Salt Lake in six years that isn't into skiing and mountain biking. That's just, I haven't had that experience. So it's nice to get out of that and meet people that have different interests and, and, um, kind of expand your own personal horizons, be invited to do things that you're like, Oh, I never thought I would, rent a boat with friends and and go party on a lake that's just not something that i would ever do here evan is not into skiing or mountain biking so he could probably enlighten you on some great activities yeah nice to meet you (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) for me i I, i'm in the homogenous crowd so yeah that's just i i mean it's that area it's the grand junction area too and um but it is you know it's something that also can be quite lonely um i would always make a habit of taking a couple weeks between assignments to come back to salt lake and seeing my my people um and just kind of getting like filling my my cup back up um but I would say it just kind of depends on your personality you have to be super outgoing to to make friends um when when you're constantly in a new place and um I I'm extroverted so that isn't super hard for me but there's there's some days where you're just tired and you want to say no but you're kind of like oh I'm on this adventure I'm in this new place I'm in I was in Lake Tahoe and I was like I can't say no to anything because I want to have those experiences and by saying yes to things that's when you're gonna you're gonna meet people and and kind of make a little uh, more connections do you find it hard to compartmentalize your work and leisure time 
because I always wonder this about nurses, especially, but people who have high stress jobs that it's, you know, they're, they're one minute, they're trying to revive somebody on an operating table and maybe they can't do it. And then their shift is over and their friends are like, you want to go out and get drinks? And it's like, how do you leave the job behind and then flip that switch and be able to separate yourself from all of that and relax and enjoy yourself? It's, it's definitely, that's such a good question. It's definitely a learned um, behavior. I, as a new, a new nurse, I definitely struggled with that. Um, I did, um, you do see some really tough things and then you have to turn around and, you know, sometimes you're turning around and you're walking into another patient's room and you can't let them know what just happened in the room next door. Um, and you know, working with kids, like you got to put a smile on your face and, you know, do a like cartoon impression, you know, you, you just have to keep working and it's, it's something that can be really challenging. Um, one thing that, nurses are really good at though is is learning how to do that and and teaching each other how to to do that and giving each other space during the shift to kind of debrief and um once I leave the hospital and I take off my like when my scrubs are on and I'm under fluorescent lighting and it's kind of a I was recently informed by someone who's not in healthcare that hospitals smell weird where I think they smell great and like comforting once, once I'm in that antiseptic space, it's kind of like game time. And then you learn when you walk out, you change your clothes, you um, maybe put on like a lot of people use like, mu- like music to kind of cue them. Like they listen to certain music going into work and certain music leaving work. Um, and you just kind of like take that layer off and kind of put it over there um, and just know that when you, if you need to talk to somebody you've got other nurses that you can, can reach out to. You don't, you never want anybody to ask you how your day was because you're like, Oh, it, you, you can't handle me telling you how my day was. Um, and you never really want to ask anybody how their work day was because you know, it's going to be something that you don't understand and can't relate to. Cause it'll be like, Oh, my, my coworker was like just being so annoying at work today. And, and like slacking me and I just only recently found out what slack was and that people have LinkedIn and like there's this whole like world that you just that we're not a part of that um we kind of are like just it kind of seems silly and um but I'm so grateful So Evan and I are slacking right now (laughs) just for context that is wild to me that's so yeah, yeah I that is that's a new thing for me I the zoom call thing like everybody had um, been doing that for like two years before I had my first Zoom meeting and you know everybody was like okay mute yourself like we all know the drill now and I was like I don't know the drill what's the drill what do we what do we do we so <laughs> um but it, so this it, isn't this isn't the most stressful part of your day right now speaking on a podcast <laughs> about nursing <laughs> You're not in a hospital. You don't. You're away from the comforting smell of a hospital. It's, it it really is comforting, but yeah, no, we. It's kind of nice to. Um, that's why nurses, I think, are so great to have in your life because nothing, nothing really trips you up. If, like, even if oh my cat's about to say come say hi, um, even if somebody's not breathing, like I can handle that. Like I'll breathe for you. That's not a big deal. So there really is no. It really changes your skew we're great to travel with we're great to do big events with because we have a really high threshold for stress 
do nurses drink more than people in other professions because i find that <laughs> with people who have really stressful jobs especially in like the restaurant industry you know they're dealing it's very different yeah. kind of stress but they drink more than anyone else because they are dealing with unruly customers all day they're tired they're just pissed off and they're like you know what i just need to get drunk does that is that carry over to nurses or not so much I would say definitely for the millennial and Gen Z nurses, that's probably maybe some of the boomer nurses. Very, very true. Um, There's definitely like a big, it's really common to have at least once a month, all the nurses of the unit get together. We're kind of like, so each hospital has six units or 10 units or however big it is. And those nurses get really close on each unit. So you'll have like your respiratory unit, you'll have your GI unit, you'll have your cardiac unit. And it's not, it's very common that at least once a month, all those nurses will get together and just party um, and really let, they've got a lot of steam to let off. Um, I will say though, definitely between shifts, that's very uncommon. Most nurses I know are, because you're going um, back to back and you have only, so we're doing 12 hour shifts. You, you don't have that much time to you go home, you shower, you eat, you pack something for the next day and wake up. So it's usually, I feel like it's more of that sort of like explosive energy, like let's all go out this day and we're all going to let that steam out together on that day and, and party. So it's a buildup and then an explosion yeah. rather than like a steady stream of two drinks every night after work. Yeah. It might be better if, if we you know, had a glass of wine every night after work, but that's mostly not what I see. It's just a big party. I'm curious what else, what, what is the, what is the after work routine of a nurse, a traveling nurse in particular look like? Like if you want to do something like go on a hike or go to a movie or what is it like, what is the routine that allows you to break free from the work stress? I'm, I'm a nature person. So I definitely like classic Salt Lake, person so mountain bike ski anytime I can get outside I feel a lot better so my my main goal when I get to a new place is to meet a few people and and I try to um lead with like hey those are my interests who else is into that and then after really after work is not anything other than going home and going to sleep immediately because you're usually pretty tired but I always plan something for at least once a week like hey, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to get a bunch of us together and, and go let off some steam in nature and, like, go for go for a hike, go for a walk. Um, it was I, – I lived in Houston for a period of about six or seven months, and that was a really hard place for me. It's a, it's a city, um, big, big, real city, not like Salt Lake. Yeah, and um, that was really not – you have to drive for, like, two or three hours before you're anywhere remotely suburban, let alone um, rural, so that you can hike. And I didn't have – my interest didn't really line up with the, the other people at work as much. It was really hard to find people that wanted to go hike and wanted to go be in nature. Um, so that was – a little bit more of a struggle, but I just find a couple of people and sort of force myself into their lives, text them, like, let's go, let's go do something. Um, and then if, if that's not working for me in a certain place like Houston, then I'm kind of like, okay, what do you guys, what do you guys do? If that's not like, if we can't go on a quick hike after work, like what should we do? 
what do we do in Houston? What's the what's the move in Houston for us to to let off some steam after work? And in Houston, it's go get drinks. Um, and like after work is at 8 a.m. sometimes. And so you're going to go get brunch and get some mimosas and just kind of like un- talk about your shift and, and debrief. Is there anywhere that you found to be particularly difficult to make friends because of a cultural disconnect? I felt like Houston was pretty was probably my hardest place. I remember um, having that concern when I was when I took that contract, and this was years ago when um, probably like three or four years ago when travel nursing wasn't quite as robust as it as it is now. Um, it was summer, so that's a low contract time for pediatric nurses. And I was coming from, I just spent nine months in rural Montana and had really loved it and had been felt really embraced by the community, um, gotten along really well with everybody at the facility and then drove halfway across the country to Houston and into the third largest city in the States and um, realized I didn't have as much in common with the people there as I, I would have expected. It's definitely a, um, it's Texas. So it's a v- very heteronormative, um, area. And as a gay woman, for some reason, I felt more comfortable in rural Montana, um, than I did really in Houston. It was, um, there's definitely, a lot of wealth in Houston and money seems seemed to be a really big thing like I went on a few dates and got picked up in a white beamer every single time and then they like valeted their car and <laughs> that was a yeah I was like I don't really know how to respond <laughs> to that so that was definitely the most challenging and I was like hey guys like let's go outside and go on a hike and they were like we're gonna day drink and then go shopping and I was like I this is gonna be a very big challenge for me. I'm curious how housing works. I I know like my my sister-in-law did uh, traveling dietitian work for a while and I think she pretty much just stayed in Airbnbs, but I'm curious what your preference is and what kind of assistance is provided in these places. So the hospitals usually will keep um, lists of people in their community that are um, usually their, their hospital staff that you know, have spare rooms that they're happy to run out to travelers. That's sort of the like old school way of doing it before Airbnb. Um, I used to use Airbnb a lot. I, I didn't want to have roommates um, or like stay in a room of somebody else. I travel with two cats um, and a dog because I'm absolutely insane. And so I would always try to find a place where we could be sort of on our own. I used Airbnb a lot. There's also um, a website that's specific primarily I guess to healthcare workers um, doing residencies or contract work called furnished finders and it's um, it's pre- it's a less sophisticated version of Airbnb but it's designed for these like traveling healthcare workers um, it can be a little bit cheaper than Airbnb but Airbnb is sort of like a classic easy peasy Sweet. way of doing it I'm curious how long you plan to do this for. Is this the long-term career, or do you think you're going to be one day not wanting to leave Salt Lake? Uh, you're always going to be maybe going no farther than Ogden. What's the end game? 
Um, yeah. So, so my intention with travel nursing was to, um, move around until I find a, found a place better than Salt Lake and that I would want to live there and, and stay there forever. Um, and what I've found instead is that, uh, Salt Lake is still definitely my home and I'll probably want to settle, um, settle down back here. Um, honestly, probably in the near future, I've been doing this for four or five years. Um, and I think for me, the hardest part has been, um, traveling as a single person. Dating is really hard when you are only in a place for three months because sure you can date, but generally the reaction from the people that you're dating is like, oh, so you're going to move across the country in three months. Like that's kind of not cool. (laughs) Um, so I think what's that conversation like when you first meet someone and like, at what point do you disclose like, yeah, I'm only here for three months. So this can only really be has an expiration date. Does that go over well? Or are you nervous to reveal that? It has, it's historically not gone over very well. So I'm always nervous to, to give that information up, but I've, I've learned through trial and error, unfortunately, that it's really good to just get it out in the open quickly. Um, because it's not a, it's a way less fun conversation to have at the end of three months than it is if I just get it out there at the beginning. So I've definitely been burned by that, um, which was definitely my own fault. But it, I mean, it is really challenging because you, in a sense, like for me, I'm like I'm traveling to kind of find where it feels like the most like home. And if I find a great person and I'm at a great facility, absolutely, like I would consider staying. But that's also a lot of pressure to put on a, a relationship or it can feel like that. Absolutely. So upfront honesty is the best policy. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. I know. It's really surprising. Novel idea. Surprisingly, that's, <laughs> that's something that's probably true for all relationships, you know? All right, Molly. Well, thank you so much for joining. I, I Before we close, I'm curious if you have any advice for somebody that might be looking to go into this field. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say... Uh, I always tell new, I, there are a lot of new grad nurses that want to get into it. So my biggest recommendation for people in nursing school that are looking for new jobs is, um, to, to take, you have to work as a staff nurse for two years before you travel nurse. Um, that is the goal, the golden rule. And a lot of people try to, um, are excited, like overly excited and they want to like sneak in there sooner, but it can be, it is you and your license out there, um, the hospital will not always have your back. You need to know your shit and you need to be able to provide the best care for, for patients in really high stress environments. So give yourself those two years to, to really grow your skills, um, and be, and be honest about where your strengths and weaknesses are. And if you want to get the best skill, people automatically like, um, are drawn to ICU, but float pool is where you're going to get which so those nurses float all over the hospital and they so they get experience and training on every single unit um including the ICU so that's going to be like your golden ticket to the big leagues if you want to travel nurse and get all the certifications and all the training so if your hospital says hey I want to get you certified in x y and z say yes to everything and really build your your portfolio of skills and um but take the time to learn everything in a safe setting um and to and grow your skills before you start traveling well normally we would ask our guests 
to tell viewers where they can find them online and social media handles and everything. In your case, I guess, if someone gets injured and wants to have you as their nurse, where can they find you? <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, I don't have a LinkedIn because we, we don't even nurses we don't even use resumes honestly we just submit and we say like this is my training but on social if you have a a question about travel nursing or you hurt your foot and you want me to look at your your possibly broken toe which is probably 90 percent of my my dms i'm at at white wolf underscore wandering and that's on ig that's the the only social that i've got cool well molly Dwayne, thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure having you on and uh, we will catch up in the future. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay, we're here in News of the Day after a great chat with Molly. Thanks again to Molly Duane for coming on and enlightening us about all things travel, nurse, life. Our first story today is... To me, stating the obvious, I'm not sure why it needs to be done other than I know there have been reports recently of drug cartel activity uh, in the Riviera Maya, but Matador published an article the other day written by our own Nick Hines about hotels in Cancun and Tulum asking guests to sign drug law awareness agreements, basically stating that they're not going to transport or consume drugs while they're on the property. Um, To me, it seems like if you're going to a resort in Mexico and you want to party while you're there, signing a release is not going to prevent you from doing so. What do you think, Evan? Yeah, my first question is, who is going to Mexico with the intention of consuming drugs, and then upon receiving a piece of paper asking them to certify that they will not do drugs, thinks, oh, well, now I can't do it. Party's over, done, I signed this piece of paper. If you're gonna do drugs, you're gonna do drugs. Like, what's the what's what's signing a release gonna change in your mindset nothing right right and you know what if if you're the type of person that's going to mexico to do that then uh you know you're kind of putting your own self at risk as well as your vacation and legal status so i don't see why a piece of paper is going to change that however i i i wonder if the hotels are doing this more as a awareness statement for the cartels themselves uh so that the cartels are are known to both the guests and they they are aware that they are exposed yeah are they really though i mean i don't know this reminds me actually of so in college we had this thing called the honor code that the school board thought was genius so it's called the wheaton honor code and at the end of every test or essay or anything we had to uh yeah i guess yeah essay that we completed outside of class and tests that we would take in class we had to sign the Wheaton Honor Code, and we had to write this statement, uh, this one-sentence statement, I've abided by the Wheaton Honor Code in this work. And that basically meant I did not cheat, and I have completed this assignment uh, upholding the, the Wheaton College ethics. And I always thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world, because basically it was a way of saying, holding students to a, a standard of ethics. And because of this honor code, teachers didn't have to be in the room while you were taking tests, writing essays. It's like they were removing themselves and giving the students um, the space to, uh, to to work without supervision, showing that they trust us. And in exchange, we had to sign this honor code saying we wouldn't cheat. 
students could even if they wanted to go to the lot like take a test and go to the library and do it outside the classroom environment if they were more comfortable doing that but it's all okay because we signed the honor code meaning we won't cheat and i just always thought it was so stupid because if you're going to cheat if i was the kind of person who's going to cheat on a test if i hadn't studied if it was uh, you know a make or break for my grade and i had to cheat and i was going to do it and i planned to cheat signing an honor code statement at the end of my test saying that I didn't cheat certainly is not going to stop me from cheating. I mean, it's interesting that they are making you do that. I do think it's cool that they are trusting their students to be honest by letting them leave the room and go to the library or, or, or basically do what's going to make it their best environment. I imagine that's where it came from is and a desire to give students uh, their best opportunity to succeed uh, based on what environment is good for them. Right. I right. think that's great. But I don't see what a piece Which is of paper. Fine. I think that's fine. That seems more like the statement is just going to become a line used at keg parties. Like, oh, I played this game of beer pong with honor. And it's almost patronizing. Like, you hey, trust us to not cheat. Trust us to not cheat. Don't make us sign a little thing at the end of every single essay, uh, you know, certifying that we won't cheat. That's not trust. So anyway, moving on from that, next article we got today is a piece I wrote called unpopular opinion airlines should get rid of the recline button on airplane seats this is an often discussed subject very contentious pro airplane reclining seats anti-airplane reclining seats people disagree all the time i think that most people are annoyed by based on the the facebook comments this article received i think most people are anti-reclining seats um my argument here is that there shouldn't even be an option. There should be no button on the seat to even give people the choice because the people that are pro seat reclining, their argument is pretty much, well, you can do it. And then the person behind you, if you've encroached on their space now, they can just recline their seat. And then the person behind them can recline their seat. So everyone is getting their space, but they're doing it by reclining their seat to the person behind them. And it, to me, that just creates a domino effect of, of misery and bitterness and it's not solving anyone's problem. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think they should be uh, not available for anybody to use. It's funny because I think the people that love those things are the people that don't fly much. I think anybody that has had the annoying experience of somebody reclining the second they sit down and just staying like that for the entire time you're in the air would be against that. And I think, honestly, your unpopular opinion probably isn't that unpopular. I imagine even airline staff doesn't like it because then even the, the stewardesses have to go back and remind everybody to put their seat back up at the end of the flight anyway. Also, when I was young, you know, like a kid, the first couple of times I ever flew, I would do it and always be disappointed at how little it actually reclined. Like, it's not even making that much of a difference. It makes no difference to your comfort, but it makes a big difference to the person behind you's space, right. which is already minimal. So that's the issue. It's not even giving you that much you're not at an angle where you can really sleep comfortably anyway. So it, it's really just, there's, it's, it's lose-lose. There's really no upsides. So It's a domino effect of misery, Eben. You nailed it with that statement. And given people's kind of selfish predispositions just in general, I think if you give people the option, they're probably going to take it every time. They're going to do what's in their best interest and ignore the community around them most times so i'm saying remove the option take the button away remove that temptation and everyone will be a lot happier yeah i agree thanks for listening to no black updates make sure to subscribe on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts leave us of course a five-star review 
And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Flow underscore on Instagram, and he's TimWinger1. Also, a big shout out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halke, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Matador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week.